0: Hello and welcome to the Yay Yoga podcast. I'm Renee Liu, you may know me as a yoga teacher, and today I'm the host of this podcast where I talk to the most inspiring teachers from around the world about their yoga journey. Today I'm talking to Victoria Hindman. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner and yoga teacher whom I recently met on one of her courses on Ayurveda. I left this course feeling so inspired that I wanted to reconnect with her again on the Yay Yoga podcast, and I'm so grateful that we did, as we'll dive into her personal story and we'll talk about some deep stuff, such as giving birth and losing a loved one, and about some lighter stuff like Ayurvedic tips for easing into fall and winter. As always, you can find more details on my website yayoga.nl, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome Victoria, um, I'm very grateful to um, be able to talk to you uh, through Zoom today, we've met a few, a few weeks ago already uh, on the Foundations of Ayurveda course that you were organizing and that I was um, joining and um, yeah I'm very happy that you have made the time to, uh, to talk to me on the Yay Yoga podcast, how are you doing today? How are you feeling?
1: I am feeling... Uh, how am I feeling? Well, I just got back yesterday. No, the day before yesterday, I gave a women's retreat, a women in Ayurveda retreat from Friday to Sunday, which was uh, mm. really lovely. And um, a lot of beautiful things that happened there. So it was, it was a long week. Um, so a little bit tired, but nothing that an early night can't fix and a hot bath so yeah feeling the this season that i think everyone's feeling with the wind and the and the storminess
0: yes yeah we're we're definitely in in fall now it's it felt like a long transition but i feel like we've arrived in yeah. fall now <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's very much that that cold weather that's uh gets into your bones
0: mm it does yeah. Was the retreat, was that an online thing or was it, um, was it on a location?
1: Um, it was on a location. It was in, um, in Hilversum at a very nice place called the Horneboeg. Uh, I do these retreats through Happy Soul Travel and we were 22 of us. Um, so it was, you know, you have to keep the distance and do the masks in the hall. Uh, that kind of thing. but for the rest it was it was really nice to be able to uh, to be live with people. and uh, some of them were students from from many years, and some were people who had never I'd never met them before, and they they knew my voice through classes online, but they hadn't met so, met me, so it was nice to uh, and also to be ju- with just women was very special because somehow it felt that the women were already more open somehow when it's a women's retreat there's like all different ages and there's uh there were three pregnant women there were two women who are already grandmothers so it's a really lovely mix of all different women
0: oh sounds wonderful and I can imagine that especially now during these times during this pandemic and um well so many things um closing I can imagine it's it's got some extra value to be able to join such a retreat. Yeah,
1: I think uh, people were very, very chatty. I think they were very much enjoying to be in a group with other women again where we could just chat and, like in the olden days, just hang out and chat. (laughs) So, yeah, people were very grateful. Yeah. Yeah, it must be very special. Um,
0: So I think... Most of my listeners have either heard from you or have studied with you, um, but some might not know who you are. So for those who don't know you yet, can you quickly introduce yourself and share a little bit about the work that you are doing, the things that you're sharing?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I was, uh, I think, somewhere around... 2001 or so I I got into yoga when I was living in Los Angeles and um, I got into all different styles so everything from from the classic Hatha and then it's funny because this is you know 20 something years ago so then there weren't all the hip lingos yet of all these different words to, this, to give different names to classes. You know, there wasn't like power yoga and, and smooth flow and all these different words that have come up only in the last few years. So it was just hatha or it was ashtanga or it was, uh, they had something in, uh, in California called, um, uh, what was it? By John Friend, um, I'm forgetting that the name of that one, but there weren't so many. So I would I started going to a yoga studio in my neighborhood. That was a super small, tiny uh, neighborhood studio with without merchandise, without a store, with just a flyer saying the schedule uh, and they were just an amazing couple. It was a married couple that had the studio, and they were amazing teachers, completely not famous, completely not in the, you know the, the yoga scene. Uh, they were just awesome teachers. And so I started going to them, um, and then also some of the Mysore Ashtanga. And then I started this yoga teacher training where you had to do a certain amount of hours in workshops. And this was—they uh, had a lot of workshops that they offered at this place. It was called the Center for Yoga, which now has become a Yoga Works, um, part of the Yoga Works chain. And one of them, so I was just looking at all these flyers, and one of them said Ayurveda, the sister science of yoga, which sounded a bit boring, science, and it was like, eh, I don't know. But the dates worked out, and I thought, okay, I'll just do this to get my credentials. And I did this workshop, and within the first few minutes, I just right away something in my my mind just went whoa, 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 whoa. This is amazing, and uh, and then I got into um, somebody handed me these. Uh, before before CDs, it sounds so so old-fashioned, but the cassette tapes, it was time of the cassette tapes. and somebody handed me this package of six cassette tapes of Dr. Ladd. And they said, if you're into Ayurveda, you should listen to this man. So I drove out to a Vipassana in California, and for those six hours, I listened to these tapes, and this was just like, wow, this is I have to study with this man who had a school in New Mexico. So uh, I was living in L.A. and New Mexico is like a two-hour flight to uh, in Albuquerque. So I went there for a few years on weekend seminars. And I was teaching a little bit here and there, starting to teach some, some yoga here and there. And then with my heart set on going to Albuquerque to live there to do this Ayurvedic practitioner training, which finally I was... Um, able to do, which was in 2005. So I moved there for the year and did this Ayurvedic uh, practitioner training and also what they called Ayur Yoga training, which was of how you can do yoga asana practice from an even more customized way uh, through the Ayurvedic lens. And that just, everything made such sense to me. And I don't know why hardly any yoga teachers have not studied Ayurveda, or they might have studied Ayurveda a little bit and they use it for food off the mat. But it should be used in the yoga room uh, to give these insights because some people think, oh, but how can you do that when everybody, every student has a different body, right? So you can't customize it. But what you can do is you can give some little tips of if you're feeling this way, then you should take your eyes down, to ground more, right? There's all these little things. So it's been very much my passion to bring Ayurveda out um, to to people to learn it for their, to recognize the the type of vehicle, their body that they were given in for this lifetime, and how to work with it, of what the strengths are and what potential weak spots might be, that you know how to take care of yourself, but also during the yoga practice so that you can adjust postures and and uh, uh, your eyes and inner focus on what you need. So this has been very much, uh, aside from um, d- giving Ayurvedic consultations that I still do at the Light Yoga and this training, like what you did, the 50-hour training and retreats, and pregnancy yoga and marma treatments, but this is my thing to really bring Ayurveda through so that you can ultimately be your own teacher, which is the whole point, that you connect with your own, right, the inner guru, which is your wisdom, that you listen to your own wisdom telling you if something feels right or not, and if you're feeling a certain way that you should focus more on either downward or upward movement so that you can rebalance yourself in your practice rather than take yourself more out of balance, which is also happening a lot. When you, But when you don't know the natural laws of, of how our body functions, then you don't know, right? So this has been very much a, a passion of mine, also for yoga teachers to understand this very simple uh, system, or not even system, but just understand how the body and the mind works.
0: Yeah, Thanks for sharing that, and also like the thing that you mentioned with uh, the gaze, bringing it down when you need more uh, more grounding, and um, that was really um, eye-opening for me uh, during during the course that I followed with you, um, where we did this um, this very grounding practice, and you you kept on cueing how we. Um, yeah how we, how we should pay attention to to where we're looking at and and I felt that for me the the normal way of looking is like straightforward or up and never going down and was just like this yeah, it was very interesting to uh realize that there's still so much that I don't know about myself and
1: um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly and it is indeed it can be a bit shocking and the funny thing is that we can become so uh, robotic in everything we do including our yoga practice so it's like because maybe you've learned so for example in the ashtanga system where you learn to do trikonasana looking up right doing a triangle posture and you look up but if you've learned it the right way, then you would learn that even though your eyes are looking up, there is an inner gaze which is down. But not all teachers either have learned this, or not all teachers explain this in an Asht- led ashtanga class, and they just say look up. But then, if it's only looking up without also looking down within, it becomes very ungrounding. So indeed, it's it's it can be very something so small that can completely change your practice.
0: Yeah. Um, We're going to talk about Ayurveda more, obviously. Um, But before that, I want to ask you um, what yoga means to you. It's a question that I'm asking to to everyone I have on the on the show. Um, And obviously, Ayurveda and yoga are they always say they're sisters. Um, I'm curious to hear um, hear your explanation of how they are linked and and what yoga and or Ayurveda mean to you. Well,
1: to me, everything is Ayurveda, right? It's not something I apply in my life. It just is everything uh, because it's. Ayurveda means the it comes from the word Ayur, which means life and Veda means wisdom or knowledge. So it that's why it's often translated as the science of life. but it's 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 simply life. So it's not like Ayurveda, I apply it here or there. It just is all of life because you start looking at all of life, life will still remain the same, but it's how you look at it through the lenses of, more awareness of seeing qualities, express themselves. Um, and with yoga, so for me, when uh, someone says the word yoga, to me, yoga is um, the oneness that we are. I don't, this, I don't think of yoga as asanas, so, right? So th- this is something that people can also forget, that yoga doesn't mean postures that we do on a mat but yoga is this one huge tree that has all these beautiful that offer all, every one of them, equally important. And this is something that I think is important for well the teachers to realize and to remember that yoga is not only postures, but it is the yamas and the niyamas, it is doing pranayamas, meditation, and many, many... Uh, of us can fall into the addiction to yoga asanas and completely forget about all the other branches of this tree. So so yoga asana being just a small part important but not everything. So all these branches are part of this big picture. Um, and the way you can look at uh, yoga means to to unite, right? Yug, it comes from the word yug. And yolk means to unite um, kind of like you know egg yolk and egg yolk, right you've got the yellow part and the clear part, so it's this yolking, it's this uniting, and what is it uniting it's uniting opposites, opposite qualities, so some some in some way you could say it's it's merging or uniting our individual identity and our higher self, for that to consciously merge into each other. Um, And you could also say it is the the merging of opposite qualities, of both stability, groundedness, heaviness, which is completely in balance with lightness and expansiveness and openness. And that's exactly what it is. It's these two scales because life, for us to experience life, it's through qualities. For something to be able to be experienced, it has to have qualities. And every quality has its opposite, right? So, heat has its opposite of coldness, uh, heaviness has its opposite of lightness, right? This very basic common sense. And there are these ten universal qualities such as heavy and smooth and cold and and these qualities and they have their matching ten opposites so you could say there are these twenty qualities that we experience in life and so this and that is both Ayurveda and yoga it's it's balancing opposites so that there when the scales are balanced then we experience good health, good vitality, stable, yet light mind. and all the all the doshas, like all the elements within our body, are completely flowing. We can poop well, we can sleep well, we have a healthy appetite. Our emotions are calm and stable and joyful. So it's really about this balancing, but we sometimes our mind can create this idea that, as if we're one day going to find the balance and then maintain it forever, right? but mm-hmm. as as we're living in a world where we have changes of seasons, we have uh, things that happen in our personal life that trigger emotions, we have all this stuff going on. So it's nice to let go of any idea of perfection, as if there is this this perfect, perfect moment of stillness. Yet actually you do at a certain point realize, that's why it's called self-realization, right? Nobody can realize it for you, only you can realize it, that there is this amazing space of radiant stillness even while we are part of the turbulent outside world. So I hope that answers it a bit. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) it answers more questions than i asked so uh yeah thank you for that (laughs) well you know that's
1: how you know that's how we tend to roll
0: (laughs) (laughs) i want to go back a little bit um uh to your childhoods um i believe you grew up in canada and then traveled through the world to the netherlands back to the states back to the netherlands um can, can you can you share a little bit about how your childhood was, where you grew up. Um,
1: Mm. Yeah. So my mom was born in South Africa and she left South Africa when she was 21 and and moved to Spain and to the UK. My dad, Canadian, and my dad was in the UK studying. He was a biomedical engineer. So they met in the UK. Um, And then... We, they moved back to Canada, and my sister and I were born in Canada. We were born in a place called Halifax, Nova Scotia, which I've never been to. We left when I was only a few weeks old, so I'd like to go and visit it sometime. Um, so when I was very small, we moved to Holland because my dad got a job here to uh, work for TNO. He was, he, he was inventing this, this machine, the first finger cuff that measured the blood pressure which is quite funny because I was learning about the pulse and he created the first finger cuff and this machine that could um, uh, foresee during an operation if somebody was about to have a heart attack because it measured this, this oscillation between the beats of the heart. So, and this is exactly what I'm all about, what happens between the spaces between breaths, right? The stillness. But anyhow, my dad, so we moved here and then um, we would go to Canada, to Toronto every summer and every Christmas vacation. And then my sister and I loved it there, so we wanted to move there. And then when we were 12, we moved there. And then it's, all, it's it has been a bit of a back and forth, back and forth, like a year in Toronto, then a year in Holland, then a year in Toronto. And then when I was 21, I moved to Los Angeles. And that's where I lived the longest time in one place, which was in L.A. for 13 years. Um, and, after, and that's where I had a hair salon with my sister uh, called Purple Circle, which was a, a really fun, very successful, lovely, lovely place. A lot of fun. For 13 years I worked there with so much joy. Um, and we had also a salon in Amsterdam for four years with the same name. And that's where I then got into the yoga. So it's been like learning Dutch at school, English at home. Um, and now I'm a mom. I have my daughter, Faye. She's 11. And my son, Sim, he's turning 14, 14 next month. <laughs> it's still weird. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're more settled here. We've been here uh, since I moved back from the States. Yeah.
0: And and uh, what about your your parents? Are they still alive? And um, where are they on the world right now?
1: Yeah, my mom lives very close to here. She lives in Buitafeldert. In fact, I'm going to go to mm-hmm. her and spend the night with her tonight. Uh, and my dad passed away about nine years ago, but he was still living in Amsterdam. Yeah. Okay. So okay. My, my mom was married to a Dutchman, and he passed away about six months ago. So my mom's in a very new time of her life Mm. that's why I go there now every Tuesday to to be with her yeah and and um
0: and and how does uh Ayurveda and yoga help you in in this grieving process first your own grieving process and then maybe right now your mom's
1: yeah well you know the beautiful thing was that uh when, when my dad passed, so I found my dad's body. He had been gone for about two days already uh, out of his body. And I had just cut his hair three days before that. So it was mm. very, very fresh. But the beautiful thing is that having been so much studying the spiritual texts, right? The Yoga Sutras, the, the Bhagavad Gita, all the Ayurvedic texts, so finding my dad was like, an, it felt like an initiation of everything I've been studying. This is what I've been studying, right? Life. Uh, and life has an ending, whether we like to accept it or not. The, an individual cycle will have an ending at some point. So finding my dad really put to test everything, my trust in what I've been studying. So it was a really amazing, amazing experience um, that, that so many magical things happened during that time to confirm that indeed we are so carried. We are so, there's so much more than what our two tiny little eyes can see. So it was actually now uh, the most amazing thing. And also at birthing my two kids, I birthed them at home in a, in a pool, in a birthing pool. And that as well was so close to death. Like when you're when you're in by yourself pushing a baby out of you, it's like you're standing at the gate of of where spirits go back to when they when they pass away and where they come out of. So I feel very comfortable with death and birthing because I've had this such a close up experience. So I think it's so important for us to remember why we're studying our spiritual texts, right? It's so that when shit goes down, which it will, that then we, we have the, the spiritual foundation, the base to carry us and that we don't get shocked and that this is part of life. This is exactly the and So it's a, any, any very intense life lesson is a beautiful opportunity for a, a major awakening. But it's up to us to how we want to use it, if we want to use it as a vehicle for awakening. So that's why I'd say also with every shavasana that you do, uh, as a yoga student, as a yoga teacher, right, because what is a yoga teacher? It's a, you know a piece of paper that says you've attended a certain amount of hours listening to someone and watching them speak and, right, a teacher is a funny word. But as a human being practicing yoga, postures, every shavasana go into it as what it's meant for, that you fully die. That you imagine, this is my last breath. Because that day will come. So the more comfortable you get with dying, with, with dropping everything the more alive you will be in your waking moments, the more grateful you'll be, the more that you'll see how special it is that we woke up this morning, right? So many people didn't wake up this morning. How awesome that we did. So it's, it helps to, to do the Shavasana really from this place of full surrender. And then you start tasting more and more the, the bigger picture not just the the postures we do on our organic eco mat of rubber that we think is where the magic happens some of the magic can happen there but it's more about how do we behave and feel off the mat for all those other hours off the mat
0: yeah yeah it it again comes back to the opposites right we can't have life without the death and
1: um, yeah exactly yeah and with my mom it was very beautiful to see because my mom used to be much more cynical and skeptical about all the things I was uh, learning but over the years when her uh, husband passed it was really beautiful to see how she was handling it and and having a candle with his photo for for the, the 60 days and burning the Palo Santo and having a flower where his body was it was like so beautiful and how she yeah it's i think it's also important for us to remember we are always growing in our consciousness and to never limit somebody in who they are like oh they're not spiritual right then like in a relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend that's oh well they're not so spiritual it's like how how dare we say that who are we to judge that right we all are have our own homework to do so, never limit someone to to an identity because we all have this potential for awakening any moment
0: yeah, and then everyone has its own way of expressing it as well, like having an altar is
1: just one way of expressing um that <laughs> whatever you yes, mean. and for some guys, for example, going surfing is theirs the ocean is their church or their temple, so let everybody do as they do and you just do you and focus right we focus on our own stuff and uh and that's that's really the magic of just focus on is your own mind happy is it clear is it calm and if not then okay what's going on that is making it not uh feel that way yeah it sounds like um
0: you you your upbringing wasn't, um, uh, like yoga and Ayurveda wasn't part of your upbringing. And then you moved to LA with your sister. Um, and it sounds like you, from, from the stories that you, you, you sometimes, uh, shared in the, in the course, sound like you were surrounded by celebrities and, um, um, not so much yogis or yogi-like people. So I I'm curious to hear how how yoga entered your life.
1: Yeah. Yeah exactly. It was um well I was doing a lot of very strong sports. Like I was doing a lot of running, a lot of running also in the hills, in the Hollywood hills. So hiking and running and I was doing boxing And um, I used to love motocross and these things. So I was very much into this, like, more masculine stuff. And then one time I drove past this little yoga studio I mentioned, and all I saw was a huge sign saying yoga, and that was it. And I kept driving past it, like, what is that place? I have to go check it out sometime. And then finally one day I went in, I grabbed a flyer, and I – looked at it and I tried a class and I tried one class and was just blown away by how I felt after Um, and so that had its very uh, magical effect that I kept going and going and also thanks to being in that world so and I would be sharing with my clients I was doing especially dreadlocks and hair extensions and braids so my clients would sit in the chair for about five hours uh, when they would come. So you get to know each other, right? They come every two months and you're talking and they're like, so what's going on in your life? So, well, I, I just discovered this yoga thing. Oh my God, it's so cool. And and they always wanted to know more about it. So over the years, they'd be like, so how's that yoga thing going? And oh man, it's so great. So I would be sharing this. And, and through that also see, and some of them started coming to my classes. This is also how I started doing a teacher uh, training because, they would say, oh man, the way you describe it, I want to try it. And I said, oh yeah. And they said, but I'll only try it if you're teaching it. And I was like, no, no way, no way. I could never teach. No way. I could never teach. This is so amazing. There's no way I could teach this. And they're like, well, too bad. Once you, once you teach it, then I'll come. So this was a little bit of a motivation to, to do this teacher training. Um, and then some of the people started coming to my classes, and then you just start seeing that no matter how famous you are, no much, no matter how much money you have, no matter how many tattoos or or um, face jobs or liposuction or whatever you've had done to your physical body, you're still a spirit, and you still have sadness from childhood and insecurities to perform and all this human stuff so and I think also because when I was doing their hair you know you'd have these tough guys rock and rollers with their tattoos and their chains and stuff and I'd do their hair like dreadlocks and I'd have to put it in perm rollers you know like old ladies with the permanentia you know mm-hmm. so they'd like take their hair and. and and, and with the comb and then wrap it around. In. So at the end of the, the four hours, they're sitting like an old lady with a shower cap on their head with all these perm rollers and the, the vata, what do you call it, the cotton around their forehead, not looking so cool anymore, right? So I got to see people that usually were seen in their best with all their masks and uniforms on. I got to see them very raw and very vulnerable, and that was so beautiful because in that space is when they would share very deep stories from their childhood, um, telling them how how it got them into this business and all these things. So it made me very, very feel very honored and humble at some of these stories. There was a lot of suffering, and whereas many people would be gossiping about this celebrity without knowing what they've gone through, so it was a really good lesson to to see indeed that it might be fake Hollywood, but underneath all that, every person is equal. There's not one person is better than the other. So it was a very beautiful lesson. So I think it's really thanks to that living in that um, environment that helped me to, to see, uh, to, to see these things.
0: Yeah. Beautiful.
1: Um,
0: Obviously, right now we're in fall, and um, you've you've shared quite some things um, during the course how how we can um, ease into fall. What we all need right now. Um, by the time that I'm sharing this podcast, we'll get closer to winter, and I was wondering if you can maybe share some tips um, and 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 tell us what we need to to survive this winter. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. So so if we look at qualities, right? So autumn, we have the quality of cold weather that's coming in um, and cold. And also there's a sense of dryness. Even though it might be raining, there still is this, a lot of winds and the wind is a, is a dry quality. So right now you want to focus on bringing in Uh, fluidity, but warmth, right? So doing this uh, daily oil massage every day, every morning, you warm up some sesame oil, just cold pressed sesame oil that you would use for cooking. uh, And you massage yourself for 15 minutes uh, at least uh, with this warm oil. And then you shower after that, you let it absorb. And you do this before your practice. It's better to do it before your practice. not do your practice and then shower. Um, And having these warm foods and using uh, the ginger and the peppers um, and moving slower. I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago, there were so many ambulances in the background. There were lots of bike crashes because when the winds pick up in the air, it affects our nervous system. So we become less focused. Uh, We move too fast. So we need to do everything a little bit slower, biking a little slower, walking a little bit slower and doing a little bit less to not have this full um, schedule, but to just have time to just be at home and and move slow. So that lasts pretty much all the way through until I'd say about January here in Holland. And what happens then? When are you planning on bringing this out? Um,
0: in a few weeks. Yeah. So probably in two weeks time.
1: Okay. So once we get more towards, uh, January, so now we want to have like grounding foods, pumpkins and, and beets right now for many people, their blood is very weak, meaning you'll find that you bruise very easy now. And also that you get dizzy very easy when you are in downward facing dog to standing up or from sitting on the couch and getting up, you might all of a sudden get dizzy. So this is because the blood is more weaker. So you want to do lots of things like the warm cooked beets, um, taking like cooked prunes, uh, more and, and turmeric like milk with turmeric in it. This will build the blood as well. And having more oily food, so warm and oily food. So cooking your food with ghee and having warm foods. Now, once we start getting... So it's like we're starting to slowly build up a layer of of like a winter coat. So a little bit, we'll we'll gain a little bit of weight, right? Have a little bit more fat meat on our bones. But that's also what we should have because the body needs to have a little bit more insulation. Now, the tipping point then happens when we go into about January... This is often when we start feeling like, I'm done with this, this winter, I'm done with all these sweets, you know, all the Christmas sweets and Sinterklaas paper notes and Speculas and all these, these sweet, more heavier foods, we start wanting to shed. So when we start getting into springtime, so say late winter around February, this is often when people are the most depressed because It's the unending uh, winter in like February and people want to escape to India or to Bali to get some sun. But if you are already staying more warm and like you could say from January, February is a nice time to get into more heated room yoga, like the hot yoga. Yeah, especially from now is also nice, but you want to be very careful to move slow, otherwise you can injure yourself because of what I explain about the winds. But like January, February, March is a really good time to get into a more heated practice, um, and so that you can sweat more. And going to a sauna uh, to get activate this stagnated water—it's kind of like in the winter time when the snow has fallen. And then in the springtime, as the sun is more present and the temperatures rise, the snow starts to melt and it starts to overflow in the little streams uh, of the mountain that all of a sudden they become flushed with all this excess water. And that that can happen with us when we have all this buildup of excess uh, water elements and fats in our system that then we can get flu and stuff because we have too much of this hardened fats that starts to melt so if you are already doing like sweaty yoga every day in the winter time then you're already keeping your waters moving so that's a good time to also do like dry skin brushing and then doing oil massage with the more heated uh, heating oil like um if you go look on any Ayurvedic website, you look for a Kapha balancing oil to get more circulation. You could also use, you know, there's some like Valera, I think, has a rosemary um, um, bath oil. So taking baths where you sweat a lot is very good to activate this sweat and heat with a, with a hot bath and these hot, hot um, more, more invigorating massage oils. And using more spices, more spicy food. But not like cayenne pepper and stuff. There's a, a pepper called pepper longum. It's a long pepper. It's called pipali. And it's a very good um, pepper to use in your food because it's heating, but it doesn't act make you too hot that your pizza goes very high, that your fire and your digestive fire gets too high. But it's a very good one for also keeping your lungs very strong and keeping the uh, lungs clear because the lungs and the bronchial tract is a place where excess mucus can build up in uh, winter time so that's tipala you said, the pepper?
0: yeah, pipali is that available in, in stores? No, I know?
1: so I think you need to order it online yeah okay and you, such an important thing is to keep your poop going. You want to make sure that you poop every morning. So that means take your time in the morning when you get up out of bed, you brush your teeth, scrape tongue, drink a cup of warm water, and sit on the toilet to give yourself a moment to poop. Sometimes people think, oh well, it's not coming, so it will come later. But when you see, just take a moment, give it a give it some time. And if you do this every day, then soon your your bowel movement, it's like we're reprogramming our system and the bowel movements will come. What you could also do is uh, take trifala, which is a formula of three different um, dried fruits, and it's a powder form, and you take this at bedtime with a cup of hot water, and this will um, uh, keep your colon clean, and keep you that you can have a morning poop. There's also a formula called trikatu, so tri means three, that's why trifala is three fruits, and trikatu means three peppers. And trikatu is a very good one to take from about December until about March if you have any kind of stagnation at your lungs. This will help to keep the lungs clear. Okay,
0: good. And um, um, does it matter what kind of dosha you... what well, you are not your dosha, but... What's like depending on the dosha, I suppose there's different things that you you need during winter,
1: yeah. Yeah, so uh, so Vata dosha, so more of the air and ether. Um, so you could even see it for example, if we just make it super super simple, if you have a body that is more skinny or even quite frail or um, even a bit underweight, then you really need to make sure to take in some extra oils and to eat definitely your warm food and to be in bed by 9.30. So you get your rest and that you do this oil massage. That's really important to keep you grounded and, and strong. For Pitta people, they they like the winter because it's cool and fresh. But for so for them, what's nice is to go for walks outside uh, in the early morning to watch or when the sun is rising, um, and to have some some movements going. They still need to move. Um, so and using spices, but not too spicy, because then they can get too overheated. So movement is still very good for especially Pitta and Kapha, because they. Pitta, if they don't move enough, they get irritable because their heat becomes more stagnant. And kapha, so pitta is usually more of a medium build. And kapha people who usually have a bigger build, both skeletal system, but also have more muscles, more fat, maybe more water retention, they really need to keep moving. They really need dynamic yoga. They really need to keep moving to keep their waters going and to sweat a lot and to use spicy uh, spices in their food so that they can keep all the blood yeah. circulation going.
0: Good. Um, obviously, um, COVID has a great impact on everyone's life right now. I can imagine that your clients are asking questions of how to deal with it. Um, maybe maybe I'm just assuming things now that are not happening, but I can, can imagine that you receive different questions than you'd normally receive as an Ayurvedic practitioner.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I would expect the same thing, but that's not really happening. I would have... Oh. Yeah. No, no, but it's it's a good, a good way for you to think, because I would have thought the same thing. But people, um, I have to admit, when people come, they are still mostly focusing just on themselves and their stuff and... <laughs> that it's still, you know, their stuff is still going on. Uh, so there's not that that much happening with that. Um, so it's surprisingly that it's not. Surprisingly, the people that are still coming, which is still a lot, I give a lot of consultations every, every week, um, most of it is still about either their digestion or menstruation or fertility or anxiety or... Um, yeah, so it's not that much about that in specific, but I would have expected it would be.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe it's too soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Well, I mean, what I, what, I, what I do focus on regardless is about uh, just... Being anchored in your seat of, of staying calm and stable through practices of of balancing vata dosha. One in particular is the oil massage, um, and taking like ashwagandha, not drinking coffee if you're feeling anxious, and naturally, and also reading the spiritual texts and listening to like satsangs of different spiritual teachers. That will keep you in in your seat of trusting in. Whatever is happening, not meaning sit back and do nothing, but that that we don't freak out because if we freak out, we don't make any wise choices
0: yeah, also the Abyanga, I think, like right now the so the Abyanga is the the oil massage for people listening that that I don't know um right now we're not touching each other so much obviously because we we simply have to keep the distance so so if no one's touching you 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 should do it yourself i feel like it's just very important right now
1: very important absolutely that's a great point you're making because indeed it's touch is such an important thing for us human beings we having loving touch, so it's not even about about sexual intimacy, but just loving touch is so important. So when you give yourself this abhyanga, you're receiving all the qualities that that is love. So you'll feel much more stable and and whole in yourself rather than feeling fearful or lonely.
0: What does your uh, self-practice look like? Do you have any daily rituals?
1: Yeah, I guess, um, let's see, well, it depends if I have my kids or not, because now that they're older, they're with me the one Friday to Friday, and then they're with their dad the other Friday to Friday. So um, when they're with me, then I get up, make tea. First thing I do is I put the kettle on, I put uh, I light a candle and incense, I go to the toilet, have bowel movement, brush teeth, scrape tongue, make a cup of tea, and... Warm up the oil, and then I do the the abhyanga, um, and then I shower, and then I start doing my kids because I have to leave the house by seven thirty to bring them to school. And also, I teach so much yoga asana, uh, and this is something that some yoga teachers might not understand or not want to hear. That in the in the classic texts of Ayurveda. They also speak about that there is such a thing as doing too much yoga asana. So uh, I don't need to do more yoga asana because I'm already doing so much in my classes. Because I participate in, you know, showing the movements and these things. Um, and I would have said years ago that 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 was in it. But years ago I didn't have kids, and then I had a very strong discipline of doing my asana practice every day because I wasn't teaching it every day Um, and I also bike my kids about 45 minutes from this part of town to the other part of town so you have to look at how much energy you have and especially in this season of the vata dosha, the autumn you need to be very mindful of how much physical exertion is wise for you So then I take them to school and then I go to the studio and then I'm there all day either uh, teaching classes or doing consultations or marma treatments or or all of these things that I'm doing. And then I bike across town to pick my kids up from school again uh, and we come home and then I sit and have a cup of tea and then I start cooking our food which you know it's when people say do you eat Ayurvedically to me anything that is wholesome and nourishing is Ayurvedic food. Sometimes it might not be with cumin and coriander and things. It can be something that is uh, without those spices, but still nourishing. So, um, so then the, the cooking is, is my sadhana of cooking for me and the kids and uh, having dinner and then oiling up the kids. Or now they shower and I oil them up after I put them to bed and then either I take a bath with oil and with magnesium salt in it, which is very good in this season. And then I'm in bed by 9, 9.30. Mm-hmm. So it's very important that you look at what, what's your age, what's your, what is all needed to be carried. Um, so it's, it's great to create your own routine and to adjust accordingly when you need to depending on what's going on with your life and the season. And then when I don't have my kids, then I like to go to like a hot yoga class and give everyone a shock because they all expect that I'm anti-hot yoga or something. <laughs> I don't know why that is. Or, or if I go to an okay. Ashtanga class, it's like, oh, what? She does Ashtanga? But I think it's, it's nice to, to work the body and, uh, when you have the time and the space. Mm, I just lost you for a moment. Yeah, are we there now?
0: Yes, I can hear you now. I I got what you said, that you're surprising everyone by going to a hot yoga class.
1: Yeah, if I go to a hot yoga class or to an Ashtanga class, it's very funny that people then get get shocked. Although I have to say, I do more of if I'm doing a, like a, an Ashtanga type series than I usually do it at home. But I like to go to the hot yoga classes more just to be in the hot room so that i can sweat a little bit more Mm. it's important to see that you can do any style of yoga yoga asana as long as you do it mind with awareness of where you need to bring your focus so then you could do any kind of yoga, whether it's Bikram or, or hot flow or anything, because you're listening to yourself. So you don't get yourself uh, pushed by some outside force, which could be either uh, competing with your neighbor because there's all the mirrors, so you want to compete, or or following what the teacher is telling you when actually that's not right for you or maybe their count of the breath is much faster than yours. So and that so it takes a bit of courage to really listen to what works what's right for you. And that's why also doing some home practice is good because then you don't have the distractions that you can get more connected with yourself in your own practice.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I find it hard sometimes personally to um, to know what you actually need. Because sometimes what you think you need is the exact opposite of what you actually need, right? I think that's, that's always this, this search.
1: Well, you know, as long as it feels like a search and there's uncertainty, then you can pretty much bet that you need to focus on vata balancing, which is grounding and slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good rule of thumb right <laughs> yeah <laughs> now then you know that you'll always be safe because then you're connecting with grounding down again
0: hmm. yeah what is your dosha
1: well that's also funny the first person i went to for a consultation years ago she said I was, she was in shock, she said I was tridoshic, of that all the doshas are equally. But then years later, Dr. Lad, who's who's my main teacher, uh, he told me, so in, in the Ayurvedic lingo, the practitioners, they would, they'd say the numbers. So they'd say, for example, me being vata two, pitta three, kapha one, meaning pitta three, meaning pitta the mostly, and vata two, meaning a little bit less, and kapha one being the least uh, amount of them. Um, Mm. So that's pretty much, and because of the work that I do, I really need to focus on keeping vata down, because it can be very ungrounding when you're uh, teaching this kind of stuff every day, and you're kind of open and doing that so for me my main focus is uh, grounding the vata which I do through taking ashwagandha and doing daily abhyanga and being in bed on time for sure Uh, and in the summertime then I also check in with my pizza because then the pizza can go high which I do by taking daily three times a day a shot of aloe vera juice I take wheatgrass powder juice um, and some liver supporting uh, herbs um, so th- so that keeps and there's also a very great herb called andrographis and this is really great for the liver. So if you have any kind of immunity stuff, it right away knocks it out. So this is also a good one to take, uh, either whenever you're feeling a bit sick or in the summertime to keep your your liver happy. Mm, wonderful.
0: Um, you're also very. Um very specialized in helping women to take care of their, their selves, themselves themselves, um, and helping them with fertility issues, menstrual cycles. Um, can you can you overall share some um, some Ayurvedic tips for for women?
1: Yes. Yes. Well if you don't have a regular cycle then go with when the last time you had your cycle and then from about day 23 after from you starting your cycle then when you go to bed apply some castor oil on your lower belly and cover it with some plastic foil or plastic you know plastic uh Wrap. wrap yeah and with a towel and a hot water bottle and you do this every night until you start bleeding again. And then you stop with it. And then you start again uh, counting from, say, d- day 23 again. And this will help to uh, declog anything that's clogged at the channels of the reproductive system. Another thing is to um, uh, drink nettle tea. And it's a very good one. And to take aloe vera juice three times a day a shot, and to take shatavari, which is an herb. um, Unless you have a lot of clotting in your blood, then don't take the shatavari. And make sure to take your days off when you're menstruating, that you really take that as rest time to do less, to not have busy social things or lots of work stuff, but that you can take some time time off to go in more to take rest Um, and you'll find also doing that and doing your oil massage not on the days that you're bleeding but on the other days will also very much help with your cycle so there's a lot of these very little things that make a very big difference Mm.
0: and if you don't have your cycle uh, would you suggest following the cycle of the moon that we see in the sky?
1: Yes. And get yourself an herb called Ashoka. A-S-H-O-K-A. Ashoka. And this will help with... And you take half a teaspoon three times a day with so, off the spoon. You swig it down with some warm water. And this will help to either if you have too much bleeding or no bleeding or not enough bleeding. It helps to to regulate that. Mm. Great. Thank you. Um
0: we're already talking for an hour. So, um I'm going to try to wrap it up. I have a few more questions. Um if you have the time. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So, if people want to educate themselves on Ayurveda, what is a good place to start? Do you have any recommended books, courses, documentaries? Anything.
1: You could get um, The science of Self-Healing. It's a lovely, it's Dr. Lad's first book. So his name is Dr. Vasant, V-A-S-A-N-T, and then Lad, L-A-D. It's a lovely little book to start with. Um, also on his website, Ayurveda.com, he has a very nice brief introduction to Ayurveda, which is great, and a lot of little YouTube videos that are on there. Um, it's also nice to watch his documentary, uh, which you can rent on Vimeo called the doctor from India. It's gives lovely, more personal story about him and how he came to America and what it is he does. Um, it's very beautiful. And, um, Well, if people want to, in person, I I give these 50-hour trainings. There's the yoga and Ayurveda training, which is 50 hours that's coming up this January through Delight Yoga. Um, There's a foundation training. And then there's a few little, short, like three-hour workshops um, that I give through Delight Yoga. And let's see. There's also from Paka um Sebastian Pohl one of the founders of Paka, he has a nice book called A Pukka Life and these are this is also a very nice uh sweet book that's to get more into, into Ayurveda both of those are really nice books
0: yeah they are the Pukka Life I found was was very easy to read
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah nice thanks I'll share the, all that in the in the show
1: notes um what do you think makes a great teacher? Just be you.
0: <laughs>
1: don't try anything that you're not. Don't try to teach anything that you haven't experienced yourself. Only experience from your own life experience. And, uh... Yeah, don't don't try too hard. It will just all naturally come out and, uh... And just keep, keep, keep doing your own your own practice, your own self-study, right? Swatyaya, your own self-study and, and not see yourself also as a role of a teacher because that makes the ego all puffed up. And you're just there maybe a couple of steps further than the people who are coming to your class and you just want to share, hey, what I've learned, this might work. So not being pushy of how things should be, but just and to just teach from, from with joy and humor and enjoy what you're doing. Don't take it so serious.
0: Yeah, that's what I especially love about the way you teach with humor and uh, and, and and laughing.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did a lot of laughing indeed. Yeah. Life should be enjoyed like that and things come to the surface and sometimes there will be tears to be shed and that too is is beautiful. But sometimes we make it so much more serious than we need to and that takes energy. Being very serious mm. is a lot of energy. So we end up being exhausted the whole time. A lot of times it's our our exhaustion comes more from mental stuff rather than physical actions. Yeah, true.
0: What is the best advice someone ever gave to you? About anything in life? Yeah. Hmm.
1: I don't think it was advice. I think it was a a quote that always stuck with me, which was, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. Because (laughs) my life has shown me that you just don't know how life's gonna go. So, but trust in that as well. Trust in, in the, the crazy intelligence that is guiding your life. Yes. What advice do you have
0: for all the yoga teachers that are listening right now and that are just about to start their teaching career or that are very much in the beginning?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it helps to use a little bit of rescue remedy spray before you start teaching to help calm your nerves because often new teachers are nervous because they have an idea that they have to do things perfectly Um, so taking rescue remedy is a nice way to to just calm the nerves Um, don't try to teach too much give space for silence that you, you give some instruction, but then you also leave some space for, for them to experience mm. it. Otherwise, if we keep filling the space with words, there's no, there's no silence for reflection. So be comfortable with silence. Mm.
0: Yeah, and that's not just advice for yoga teachers, just in general. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Which book? Which book should be on everyone's bookshelf? It doesn't have to be a a yoga or Ayurveda-related book. Just can be a novel, whatever. For
1: me, it's the it's both the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and the Living Gita. Both of them. So both are by Sri Swami Satchitananda. These have just been my my um, books that I've had for so many years. That just these do it for me. If ever, whenever something might be feeling off or I, you just open it, and for me, like, boof, right away, there, there it is again. So that's that's just my own, my own, uh my own, um, let's say, anchor. Yeah,
0: and those are great translations as well. Yeah, yeah,
1: because he's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> um, who or what inspires you the most? My kids. Wow. Because they're so ridiculously honest and have a great sense of humor. Uh, and they just, they are a reflection of my love for life. And when I see that reflected in them, it's, it's amazing. Beautiful.
0: What are you most grateful for today?
1: The uh, level of my consciousness. Or what has what's the divine or, or God has allowed me to see and to to move from from that place to, to be able to let go of, of things to let go of stuff that blocks us and, and to, to realize the simplicity that it really is so easy mm. um,
0: last question. <laughs> Who do you think I should speak to next? What? What's that? Who what do you think I should speak to next for the podcast? What? What you should speak of? Uh, no, a person. Who I should speak to? Oh. <laughs>
1: um, have you spoken to uh, Katisa, to Satcha? No, I haven't. Mm, she's awesome. Her, speak to her. Yeah, it's because she and I have known each other for over twenty years. When I we met each other, I had this pink mohawk and I was in my twenties, and and she was doing ashtanga. I was doing ashtanga in LA, and we've always kept in touch. And now, uh, so it's thanks to her that she when she heard I was back in Holland, she said, "Yes, come to delight." So she's uh, and she's uh, an amazing teacher, an amazing woman, uh, beautiful. How she is very much um, br- yeah bringing truth out and for us to all wake up. Mm. Great yeah that's a great suggestion.
0: Well thanks, thanks so much for your time and, and all your uh, all your tips, your inspiring words. Um, I'm pretty sure More questions, let me know and we can do this again some other time. Yes, that'd be great. Uh, I still have a lot of questions, but (laughs) that's just me. I have a lot of questions.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm always happy to answer
0: them. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Is there um, a way that people can find out more about you?
1: Yes, uh, they can find where I'm at through the Delight Yoga website. I think it's Um, Mm delightyoga.com. And then I have my own, but Mm -hmm. sometimes that one's not working. It's, I think, Victoria Hindman dot org i think it's changed first it was Tori hindman so sometimes it's up sometimes it's not <laughs> but otherwise the 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 light yoga one always has uh where you can find me on the schedule for classes yes perfect and then december, so 11th, december 11th to 13th i'm giving a women's I a women and ayurveda retreat again through happy soul travel hmm that's uh, a little bit in the north of Holland to a location I haven't been to yet. Oh
0: wonderful. Okay, I'll make sure to, to link to all that in the show notes that people so that people can find out where they can find you and uh learn more. And um Yeah, is there anything you, you wanna add?
1: No, I think the the main thing is uh is to remember why you're doing this practice. That is, it's, it's not for reaching a certain asana or for for more strength or more flexibility, right? But it's a vehicle to take us deeper within for us to awaken. So remember why you're doing this practice. Because we can get Thank lost you. in the world of asanas.
0: mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. They can be very addictive.
1: Yes, make sure to take time for pranayama and meditation. That's where it's at. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks, and um, I'm pretty sure I'll see you soon somewhere at the lights in the city. Yeah, <laughs> lovely, beautiful. Thank
1: you. Yeah, thank you for doing this and to to send this out for for. People to, to share, that's wonderful. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's really nice that we're able to, to do all this.
1: And um, technology can be great. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It can be. Yes, everything can be great if we use it for the right purposes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true.
1: All right. Have a lovely evening.
0: You too. And uh, we'll be in touch.
1: Yes, thank you. I'm <laughs> going to go
0: off to my mom now. Yes, I'm wishing you luck. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes at yeyoga.nl slash podcast. And if you like this show, please show your support by hitting that subscribe button in your podcast app. Give us a high rating and share this episode with someone who might be interested as well. You can also follow me on Instagram at reneelieu, that's R-E-N-E-E-L-E-E-U-W. I'd love to connect with you. Namaste.